Robinson, the Mountain Lion Podcasting Studio in Sacramento, California. I wanted to take a brief break from the longer bedside presentations and rounding podcasts to interject a story I recently heard that I think is relevant to this series. I was a visiting speaker at the North Carolina Regional ACP meeting at the end of February and attended one of their excellent sessions that was several different physicians telling stories, a story slam. The winning story was told by Dr. Deb Bynum, the Internal Medicine Residency Program Director at University of North Carolina. I asked Deb if she would record the story and send it to me so that I could share it with you on Mountain Lion. Fortunately, she said yes. I would like to thank her for being willing to join us on this podcast from afar and to tell her story. So without further ado, here is Deb Bynum to tell a story entitled, I Still Know His Name. I'd like to tell a story that exemplifies one of the many reasons I really insist on bedside rounding. I refuse to talk about patients behind their backs, otherwise known as card flipping or rounding in the hallway. You see, I still know his name. 26 years ago, I know his face, his laugh, and his loud voice until he had no voice. I still know his name. I still look him up in the electronic health record. The warning pops up every time. You're entering the chart of a patient who's deceased. I still know his name. I was an intern. Month two, I'd done the MICU. I'd seen things. I'd seen what I thought was a lot. Month two, a bit seasoned. I knew the system. I'd been fortunate enough to match at my home institution, couples matching with my new husband, both of our number one on our rank list. So I felt a little bit cocky, a little savvy, a little worn, you know, worn in the way that you see the upper levels who swagger through the hallway, worn in a good way. I started to feel like that. So I felt like I wasn't the mild, meek, shy medical student I'd been just a few months ago. On the cardiology service, month two, we admit Mr. R. He was loud. He laughed. He kidded. He joked with all of us. We all loved going to see him and talk to him. He always had a room full of people. He had a lady friend who he had dated for years, a daughter, other family members, neighbors, friends. His room was always full. Two days into his hospital stay as we're tinkering with his beta blocker and calcium channel blocker and even added digoxin, we discussed, should we anticoagulate him? Granted, there were no DOAX or NOAX. There were no acts. Again, we only had good old-fashioned heparin and coumadin, warfarin, rat poison. So we discussed this at length. Should we anticoagulate him? He was pretty with it. He lived by himself. He drove. Again, he had a lady friend. They went to church every Sunday in the K&W cafeteria afterwards. He used no cane, no walker, did his own finances, kept his own checkbook. Every time I went in, he had a story for me. So we discussed, should we start him on anticoagulation? Should we begin warfarin? But his age, he's 88. And we learned that every day he rode his bicycle around town. He liked to collect bottles for a little extra dollars with turning them into recycling. And his daughter told us that about a month ago, he'd actually hit the curb while riding his bicycle, fell, and hit his head pretty badly. Ever since then, she pleaded with him to give that bicycle up. So we discussed, no, he was too high risk. He's 88, terrible judgment. What's he doing riding a bicycle around town? So we all agreed. The daughter agreed. That would be too risky. We all agreed blood thinners would be too dangerous. But you see, he didn't agree. We never really asked him. We made the decision without him. We talked about all of this in the hallway during rounds without him. He was loud. 
it was hard to go in the room. We often got distracted with one of his stories. It was hard to cut him off and tell him what was going on to have any kind of discussion at all. It was really difficult. So our strategy was every morning during rounds, we would open the door, peek in. He would smile, laugh, wave at us. And as we peeked in, we would say, Mr. R., we're just going to be in in just a few minutes. And then we would close the door and we would talk about him in the hallway. Back to hospital day number four. I was on call two in the morning. I've been in the hospital since 5 a.m., so I was already a little tired. My husband was on call in the MICU. The ever-romantic chiefs that we had put us on call during the same time. Our schedules were perfectly aligned. I reminded my husband that if he had any procedures at all as a preliminary intern going into ophthalmology, that if he had a thoracentesis, paracentesis line, anything, I'd be happy to help him out with that. With that, I wished him good luck for his night in the MICU, and I turned to head off to the call room. Then I get the page, a number. Remember, no text pages. This was 26 years ago. The number I knew well, it was our step-down unit, the ICCU, and the cardiology floor. So I go. I figure maybe I'll get a little FaceTime with the nurses. This might allow me a few hours of sleep. I'll let my resident know what's going on as soon as I figure out the situation. So I walk over. As I turn the corner, I see the nurses outside of Mr. R's room. I know this can't be good. From the door, I look in and I see it. He has a huge facial droop. Tears are streaming down his face. He's completely aphasic. The weakness is real. The droop is real. The CT confirms our fear. He's had a large stroke. He stays with us several days. Remember how I told you he was loud? Well, he wasn't loud anymore. He remained aphasic. Every time I went in, his fear, anger, and frustration faced me, hit me hard. He was transferred to a skilled nursing facility on day eight. He was still not loud. His daughter and his girlfriend thanked us and hugged us and told us how great we were. I cried. My fellow mocked me for crying and told the attending, we have a crier, which made me angry, which made me cry more, which made me more angry, which made me cry more. As a team, we debriefed, what could we have done? What if we had started on Coumadin? It wouldn't have really had any effect within two days, and no one starts heparin, and really, there was nothing we could have done. The family hugged us and thanked us. We're good doctors, right? I mean, really, we did all we could do. But you see, I still know his name, and this is why. My gut told me at the time that talking about him without talking to him was wrong. So I still know his name. I look him up in the electronic health record four or five times a year. I read my discharge summary. It's very clinical, organized, thorough, well-written. It's a good discharge summary. But it lacks his voice because he was loud, but we didn't listen.